Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. So when we look at this list and think, oh my goodness, how the, are you saying you've got to clean your act up in order to get into the kingdom of God? Are you saying you can't be someone who has a, a negative thought, someone cuts you off in traffic and you speak in tongues? Oh, you're Muslim. Does that mean I'm not in the kingdom? Over the past couple of weeks, Dr. Corbett has been looking at the kingdom of God. So far, we've learned that the kingdom is not a physical place ruled by a particular military or political group, but rather one that requires us to enter humbly with repentance and as a result of an inner transformation. How does this transformation take place and who is it for? Very good questions and the answer is simple. The kingdom is for everyone who prays and repents. Let's explore the kingdom further as we join Dr. Corbett now for the third in the series, Praying in the Kingdom of God. Great, welcome. If this is your first time here at Lagana, this is not what we normally do. It's not normally how we space the seats out and it's not normally how we do things, but we have to in this present climate and we're appreciative that we can. And if you're watching via live stream, welcome to you. And we are continuing or about to continue to go through the Kingdom of God series. One of the reasons why I'm doing this is because I want us to understand what it means to be a Christian in what Mark said, the marketplace. And it's not just the marketplace of commerce, it's also the marketplace of ideas. Ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims. And we are, at the moment, being about to be subjected to a really, really bad idea that's going to be introduced into the Upper House of Parliament. And this is by the Mersey Upper House member, Mike Gaffney, who is introducing a voluntary assisted dying bill. And three weeks ago, on the Secular Australia website, he was interviewed and he said this, Christians have no, now let me get the right, I think he said no right, I could be wrong on that word, but I'm pretty sure it was close to that, no right to speak into any public policy position in our state. Christians should not impose their religious views on us because we are, he said, a secular society. And I hope you can hear that I made the case last week. That is not only wrong, it's extremely offensive and it's also, it's also a complete misunderstanding of what it means to be secular. In the book called Dominion by Tom Holland, he makes the point that the term secular is actually a religious term. And it designates those who can carry out the functions that God ordains in society without necessarily being ordained as priests. That's what it means to be secular from the Latin seculare. It does not mean, in fact the very definition of the word does not mean Christians are not allowed to speak up about things they believe in and hold dear, not just because of religious viewpoints but because of our care for society so when we understand the kingdom of God we need to get a balanced view of some of these things so as I now unpack this I hope that by the end of it 
you begin to see that when some people argue that religion and politics shouldn't mix or don't mix, that that is either a religious statement or a political statement in which they're mixing religion and politics by even making the statement. In other words, when we speak up for the defenceless, when we speak up for the oppressed, when we speak up for vulnerable people in our society, we're not just merely being religious, we're being caring. And we can be a voice for those who don't have a voice. So the kingdom of God, and in particular this is part three, which is praying in the kingdom. And I'll explain that as we go. But the kingdom of God was the central theme to the teaching of Christ. The central theme. Everything Christ said, nearly in all his public statements, hinged on this theme, the kingdom of God. His very first message was this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, this is recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I'm going to link those two concepts so that we, we recognize that when Jesus said that, he was making a profound statement about how to enter the kingdom of God. Now we know that the Jews had a very misplaced understanding or expectation of what the kingdom of God was to be like. Largely from the book of Daniel, they had an understanding that the kingdom of God would be a military exercise. It would be the Messiah coming in and using military might to kick out the Romans and install someone in the lineage of King David back on the throne and that would be the kingdom of God. But that's not what Jesus taught at all. Not at all. In fact, even though Jesus taught that the kingdom of God was actually an inner transformation, something that transformed a person on the inside, even though he did that, even though he did that for three and a half years with his disciples, we see that right even after the cross, they still didn't get it. They still had this Jewish expectation of a military conqueror as their understanding of, of what the kingdom was to be. And we read this in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, when Christ was about to ascend. He himself presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So even during his cross and resurrection, from the resurrection to when he ascended back to heaven, the thing that he talked to them about was the kingdom of God. So you'd reckon they'd get a pretty good grasp of it. Three and a half years and then another 10 days of solid instruction in the kingdom of God. But what we actually see in a few verses down is that they didn't get it. So when they had come together, just before Christ ascended, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Because they were expecting. <laughs> Where's your army? Well, why are the Romans still here? If you're the Messiah, this is what it's supposed to look like. It's a geopolitical thing, Jesus. 
When are you going to do it? And they didn't get it that he was talking about an inner transformation. So Christ's original disciples had a light bulb moment. Maybe the very thing that he kept talking about was the thing that the kingdom of God really is all about. It's an inner transformation. And it requires that transformation to enter into the kingdom of God. So come back to that statement that Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we'll talk about that in a moment as well. So this inner transformation shows that the kingdom that Jesus was talking about was utterly spiritual, utterly spiritual. And so then we, we read that Paul the Apostle, he got it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, that famous chapter on the resurrection, he, he says this, I tell you, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It's not a physical thing. It's not a political thing. It's not even a, a cultural change thing. It's an inner personal change thing. And he says this, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit or receive the imperishable. So this transformation to enter into the kingdom of God requires repentance, which is a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of life. This is really important because over the years gone by, it was common for people in positions of politics wanting your vote, and they would often say, and I'm a Christian. In fact, we've heard it recently by people say that. And they think it means being religious. So when Mark was asked that question, are you religious? He said, no, I'm a Christian. And people go, well, isn't that the same thing? And in one, in one sense, I can understand why people might think it's the same thing, but it's actually not, is it? It's being a Christian is not something where you, you tick a box on the census form and that makes you a Christian or being born in a particular country or being born to particular parents. Being a Christian means that you have had an experience, a spiritual experience of conversion. Transformation, we'll call it. And it requires repentance. So here's, here's the process that sometimes is involved in someone having the light go on, so to speak, and getting that what Jesus was talking about was something that takes place in a human heart. It's going to transform someone's attitudes. It's going to transform someone's speech. It's going to transform the way people behave. And Paul says, says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, the works of the flesh. So if you're not in the kingdom, you're in the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality Galatians 5:20 says idolatry notice that and if you're tracking with me through the daily bible readings we're going through the old testament and I'm pointing out wherever there is idolatry there is sexual immorality the two are intrinsically linked and Paul's just done it as well sorcery Enmity, this is an attitude of hate and bitterness towards someone. 
strife, causing bitterness toward others, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. And Paul must have had a pretty good imagination because I don't know how that keeps going. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's got to be a transformation. In other words, if you claim to be a Christian and you are someone who's always, always bagging someone out, enmity. Or you're always involved in creating strife between people. Chances are the light hasn't gone on for you. Or, or you have come into the kingdom, this has been your lifestyle, and now it's outworking. In other words, it's working out of your life. And I've seen that happen as well. In fact, it's probably what happened in my life. In fact, it is what happened in my life. So when we look at this list and think, oh my goodness, how the, are you saying you've got to clean your act up in order to get into the kingdom of God? Are you saying you can't be someone who has a, a negative thought, someone cuts you off in traffic and you speak in tongues, oh, you're and, and your, your anger rises up? Does that mean I'm not in the kingdom? Here's the really good news, and it's, it's based on a little snippet, sort of, not that Paul based it on a little snippet from C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. But in the Chronicles of Narnia, the magician's nephew, if you've read that, there's a character by the name of Diggory. And Diggory makes a comment. And he makes a comment that he says, if, if Aslan is so powerful and so good, why doesn't he just fix all this? And why does he make it so hard to follow him? And someone says to Diggory, from what I know of Aslan, I'm sure that if you asked him, he seems to be someone who likes to be asked for help when you face these kinds of difficulties. That's a, an amazing insight that C.S. Lewis has got, that when you find that life is too difficult, Aslan, representing God, representing Christ in particular, loves to be asked for help. He loves to be asked for help. I have found in my limited experience in life, that mothers love to be asked for help by their children to an extent. But there's something that appeals to that nurturing thing that I want to help. And I think that's because they're created in the image of a God who loves to help his children. He loves to help his children. So here's my good news for you. If you're battling with any of these things, if any of these things are a struggle or a battle, the great news is God wants to help. God wants to help you. So the Father avails himself to all who call upon him to deliver them from the bondage of sin. That keeps people out of the kingdom of God. And as we will see in the series, the kingdom of God is described as a place of peace, righteousness and joy. And who would like a little bit more peace and a little bit more joy, especially in this time? And that's what the kingdom of God 
is about. That's the atmosphere you breathe when you're in the kingdom of God. But here, the Father loves it when people cry out to him for help to do what they can't do in themselves. And here we have in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, you may have read this and thought, hmm, that sounds all religious and flowery, but if you're in the bondage of these things that Paul's just mentioned, and you have tried with all your might to get out of them, you've tried to not do them, you've tried to the best of your ability to change your life, and then Paul says something like this, this should just take a weight off your shoulders as you just look to God and simply ask him for help. And it is this, he, that is God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. What is redemption? It means rescue. It means when things got botched up he can fix them up redemption is when things look hopeless and bad and the very things that you thought were creating that hopeless situation God now uses to create hope and joy and fulfillment and oh man if I hadn't gone through that I wouldn't be here now moment not that we go gee I'm glad I went through that trial and difficulty not that we do that that's redemption The forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. Now I think of my favourite gospel story is that woman who's identified as a sinner in Luke chapter 7. And she comes into the dinner party that Simon the leper is holding with Jesus and his disciples and others. and, And she comes in and And just weeps all over the feet of Christ. Pours that perfume over over him as well. And It's such a dramatic scene for me. When Jesus turns to her and talks to Simon. (laughs) He turns to her and talks to Simon. And he says to Simon, looking at her, though her sins are many, she is forgiven. Can you imagine being the woman, seeing the eyes of Christ looking straight at your eyes as he says that to you? Can you imagine what's happening in here when he says that? Can you imagine the weight of her shoulders? Can you imagine that sense of cleanness? I'm no longer this dirty sinner that people think of me as. Can you imagine that? Because that's what she experienced in that moment. That's what the kingdom of God does. That's entrance into the kingdom. Transition. This is why no one has strayed so far, too far, that they cannot call upon God in prayer where they're at. That's why you hear me say, you may feel like you are a million miles from God, but you're not. You are just one, what? One prayer away one prayer away and this is all we have to do is ask God for help ask God for help it says in Romans chapter 10 verse 12 for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek and we read that and go yeah sure Mm, okay keep going no 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 You see, the kingdom of God was, was in the minds of this original audience. It was a Jewish kingdom. 
It was for the Jews. It was the restoration of the throne of David. It was whoever that was to be, the Messiah, seated on the throne of David with Israel ruling the world. And here's Paul, he's saying, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Whether you're black or white or yellow or blue or green or whatever your skin colour is, and if it's green, there's a couple of doctors that you might need to see who are... No matter what your situation, no matter what you've done in your past, no matter how far away you feel from God, no matter how unworthy you feel, there is a God who loves, who loves it when people call to him and say, please help me. I can't do this. I need your help. I need your help. Please, please help me. And it's for everyone. He's the Lord of all. And the next verse says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does saved mean? Rescued, redeemed. Have our mess turned into something beautiful. Have what we thought was the end become a new beginning. This is what God does. This is what the kingdom does. This is what bringing people into the kingdom does. And this is transacted by prayer. I hope you're hearing that because when you call on God it doesn't have to be pretty it doesn't have to be religious it doesn't have to be anything but from your heart that's what it means to call on God now for the first two centuries it seems like the Christians got this it seems that they understood this and as it grew as Christianity grew it actually endured massive persecution massive persecution there was at least two waves, or in fact three waves of persecution that happened. In AD 64, Caesar Nero began slaughtering Christians by the tens, possibly hundreds of thousands around the empire. Around AD 95, Emperor Domitian began the second persecution, killing Christians. In the middle of the second century, there was another move of persecution against Christians where scriptures were confiscated. And Christians who wouldn't hand over the scriptures were put to death. And so this understanding of what it meant to be a Christian certainly was not a political thing at all. Christians in the first two centuries had no aspirations that that Jesus said, we've got to take over the government. There was none of that. That shows us that the kingdom of God The kingdom of God which comes into your heart is established by invitation, not invocation. Two very similar words. But invocation, invoking someone means you command them, you force them to do it. But invitation is, it's their choice. It's their choice. It's their choice. So here's the, again, the really good news is God the Father The personification of love does not force anyone to do anything. He invites people into the kingdom. He invites people to come to his dinner table. He invites people to be his sons and daughters. You may never have had that kind of loving father. But if you come to know God as your loving heavenly father, you'll experience a love that you could never have dreamt of. So the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus spoke about was advanced 
by persuasion, not coercion. Not at the tip of a spear or the threat of a sword should someone think the kingdom was to be advanced. And then all that changed. In around about 312 AD, when this guy, that's actually not him, that's a statue of him. Anyone like to take a stab of who that might be? His first name was Emperor. Did someone say Constantine? Well, then you were right. I didn't actually hear anyone say Constantine, but if you had said that, you would have been right. Emperor Constantine. And doesn't he look smug? And he was. He was the ruler of the world. And he was facing a battle in which there was civil war and you had the, the line of the Caesars had long ended since Caesar Vespasian, who was a Roman general, had no family lineage connection at all to Caesar. That's when the, the, the reign of the Caesars ended in that sense. So, so from then on, it was... It was whatever army general could muster the biggest army and beat off all contenders. And Constantine was in that battle. And he was, he was about to lose that battle and, and that would be the end of it. Except he claims he had a dream. He claims that Jesus appeared to him. And Jesus said, if you march under my emblem, you will win. And he saw an emblem of the cross. And so he put crosses on all his shields. You can see his sword there, kind of looks like a cross. And he, he marched under the banner of the cross. And he won that battle and he became the undisputed emperor. And he, in, in almost overnight, said Christianity is now no longer illegal. In fact, everyone in the empire must convert to Christianity. And something shifted and it became the beginning of what's known as Christendom. The idea that you, because you're in the empire, you were a Christian. And that was not what Christ taught. So he declared himself, you may have heard of this term, Pontifex Maximus and the supreme leader and he he organized church councils the first one being at Nicaea and he began to mix religion and politics in a way that in a very short time Christians began to go well actually maybe he's onto something and they began to interpret things like the Lord's Prayer as justification for the fact, well, actually, maybe we as Christians should be ruling government. Maybe that's how it should be. Maybe that's what Jesus meant all along. So let's have a look at what Jesus did actually teach in the Lord's Prayer. And now that was my introduction to part three. So now we come to praying in the kingdom. Does it mean, as Michael asked me before, does it mean praying when you're in the kingdom? Or does it mean praying in so that the kingdom comes? And the answer is yes. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus taught this. And I, I, I hope this lifts a whole weight off your shoulders. 
And I hope that you begin to get what Jesus actually taught about prayer. When you pray, Jesus said, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. I had a pastor call me who was uh, called to um, pray for someone. Uh, the husband had, had said, look, my wife is uh, dying of cancer and she doesn't have long to go, so I need a man of faith to come over and pray for her to be healed. So the pastor went over with one of the elders and this is how he prayed. This is what he told me. His name's Michael. This is what he told me. So Pastor Michael went around, put his hands on the woman back in the day when we could physically touch people and, and he said this, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you heal this woman. Amen. And the husband of the wife looked at him and thought, what the heck kind of lousy prayer was that? That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or a premium download of tonight's discussion, please go to our website, findingtruthmatters.org and select The Kingdom of God, Part 3, from our online store. As we've heard tonight, even though Jesus taught that the kingdom of God was an inner transformation, the Jews still had a misplaced expectation of what the kingdom of God was to be. It requires an inner transformation and no one has strayed so far that they can't call on God in prayer. More from Dr. Corbett next week as he looks at the ethics of the kingdom of God. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.